Welcome to Your Family Dog, a podcast dedicated to helping families love living with dogs. Welcome back to the Your Family Dog podcast. I'm Tina Spring, and I'm joined today by my smart, pretty, and technologically challenged co-host, Julie Fudge-Smith, who accidentally hung up on our call during the first recording. Today, we're talking about managing and enjoying a multiple pet or multiple dog household and how that's going to marry with when exciting things are going on in the environment, like a holiday or a birthday party or life. So, Julie, I'm going to, I did the intro, so you get to make the first comment. All right. Well, thank you, Tina. And it is true. I'm technical. I can't even say it challenge today. Um, What I was thinking about when we were discussing this was the idea of of a couple of things. Um, Holiday management is one of the things that came to, to mind. You had mentioned that. And I thought, you know, I think that people need to have a plan. One of the, the beautiful things about the um, family pause parent education, they have this great handout about um, supervision. And they talk about being passive or reactive or proactive or active. And one of the things I've been talking a lot about with my clients of late is the idea of being prepared, of having a plan. Think about what's going to happen. Like, for example, if your sister's coming over with her one and a half year old that your dog is not used to children that young, have a plan for how you're going to manage Rover when the one and a half year old is there. Don't wait to just react when he starts having um, some difficulties with it. If you have a plan in place, then you can not only be proactive, but you can be active and have an idea of what I'm going to do and keep the plan simple. This does not call for a terribly elaborate plans. In fact, the simpler the plan, the more likely it is to be achieved. But I think it takes not a lot, but of time, but it could really make your holiday so much easier if you have a plan in place on how you want to manage your dogs when a whole bunch of people come over. Like, for example, I remember one Thanksgiving when we had three dogs. We had our Bernie's Mountain Dog, Buckley, and our Golden Retriever, Hudson, and my flat coat retriever, Mr. Bingley. And we knew that at, at dinner that day, we were going to have about 12 people or so. And we didn't really want the dogs. These are big dogs, and they did not need to be underfoot during Thanksgiving dinner. So one of the things that Emma and I did was we had three different locations in the house where each one of the dogs could be, and we rotated them in these different locations with varying snacks like Kongs or marrow bones or whatever so that they had time with the family. And when things started getting a little bit tough for them, then we would, oh, it's a little hard for you. Let's go outside and go potty. Hudson, you can have the library. Bingley, you can have mommy's office. Buckley, you can go in your crate in mom and dad's bedroom. And then I'll have a Kong or whatever. So if you have a plan in place about where the dog is going to be and how you're going to manage it and be aware of when the dog starts to show some stress signs, then I think you'll find that your holidays will go much easier. And in fact, at the end of the day, several people mentioned to us, well, that was just The dogs were so good and it, you know, it seemed to be a really great day for them. And I said, yeah, because we had a plan. And so I think that it it helps to plan ahead, especially on on particular holidays when things are going to be going sideways for your dog. They're not normally used to having all these people at dinner 
and all this wonderful smelling food. So how are we going to help them cope with the excitement of all the people being there? Yes, I think a plan is absolutely integral, but also is doing rehearsals and practicing that so that you're not trying to make a brand new complicated recipe on the day of the dinner. You're not learning how to make that really important behavioral dish that day. You don't have that urgency and pressure on you and the system. Instead, you have the time to stuff and fill some Kongs and practice what's going on and make sure the dogs and the people are comfortable and that the plan's one that's going to work. So if you kind of rehearse a few weeks ahead with, hey, we're going to do these things during regular family time, then the dogs are fluent in the skill and you have time to test how that well that plan's going to work or not work. I, I agree. I completely agree uh, that you need to be able to implement the plan by practicing it. But the first step has to be to be thinking about what is my plan going to be? What is it that I want to, to achieve? And Thanksgiving is coming up soon. So the sooner the better, because if you're going to practice these things before the major holidays, that means you have to be thinking in terms of, that's why I say keep it simple, because if you can have a simple, easy to enact plan for your pet, then it's going to be a lot easier and you're going to be more motivated to practice it. And then you can adjust it as needed, but you don't have a lot of time now before the big holidays to practice any kind of elaborate situation. But um, the other thing, I think you're right. This isn't, if you're going to do crate training, the day, it's, the day of Thanksgiving is not the day to start. <laughs> you need to be doing that ahead of time. But the other thing I think that we also need to understand is something that I, I say to my clients is, you know what? My dogs don't actually have to meet everybody as they come through the door. So one of the things that you might want to incorporate into this plan, especially if you have multiple dogs, is where can these dogs be so that I can introduce them as people come in either one at a time or after everybody's come in and settled. For example, um, my grandson, Peter, who's just a little guy, um, and he is not that fond of, he's not as fond of dogs as others may be. And he really doesn't like being kissed to death by Zuzu and Clemmy. And they will come up and they will kiss him and he's not all that wild about it. So I have the dogs outside when they arrive so Peter can walk into my home without being overwhelmed by my dogs. So, I mean, that's a pretty simple um, solution, but it works really well. And by the time everybody comes in the house and all the coats and the shoes get off and everything is deposited, then I can bring the dogs in one at a time. And then I have a gate from the kitchen into the dining room so I can let them out when they get to the gate. I can let out one at a time on a leash so that they don't overwhelm the kids. So I think there are some simple management things you can do to make things a little bit easier for you and for your guests. And understand that your dogs don't have to meet, all of your dogs do not have to meet all of your guests at the door all at the same time. You can manage that to be a little bit more peaceful for you and for them. Right. So it's often, I think, thinking about who's going to be there and whether for each of our dogs, how our dogs have maybe changed in the last year or two, right? Um, for example, if I have, if I have screaming little kids at the house, the pug is a great choice because he's deaf. So all that noise 
doesn't bother him at all. My other dogs, all that noise makes them a nervous wreck, right? But the pug can't hear. So if I had someone who, for example, if if I had someone who was having some balance issues, the pug isn't always aware and tends to startle a little bit because he's deaf. And so his movements are sometimes a little bit less predictable. Um, the two pot cake would be very concerned about someone using a cane or a walker or crutches. So if Aunt Matilda had ankle surgery three weeks ago, I might not have those dogs in the mix with Aunt Matilda when she's moving around because they're going to be worried about things in people's hands near feet. So when I think in terms of integrating my dogs with people, it's more complicated than just, well, who's coming to dinner? It's how is each dog, what are their sensitivities? And that's true even for which dogs I have, um, what activities we're doing with which dog when. Marco, for example, I've talked about him a lot, is a very, very spatially sensitive, tends to be a resource guarding kind of dog. The pug doesn't listen, but also can't hear. And what I mean by that is, even if you're communicating to him clearly in a nonverbal way, the pug kind of chooses what he's going to pay attention to and what he's not, which is kind of typical of a pug, right? It's part of why we laugh at them is because they're a little bit irreverent. So right. Marcus, now, do you also think that that um, he uses his deafness as an excuse? Sometimes, yes, I would definitely. What's hysterical is when you try to like motion to him what you want him to do and he closes his eyes meaningfully at you. So he literally cuts <laughs> off the communication because he's doing what he's doing and he wants to tell you. To, I can't to see you. No, no, no. Right. Like it's kind of <laughs> like the person who takes out their hearing aids when they're done listening to you in the argument. Like they're just done. Right. So so the pug has a little bit of that. Well, that's really difficult to navigate with Marco because Marco's super sensitive and the pug is kind of boldly insensitive sometimes. So if I know that the situation is going to be charged a little bit, it's feeding time or somebody's coming in and out or we're having a delivery or the HVAC guy is here working on our checking our system so that we don't have an outage during the winter um, or we're having firewood delivered. I'm not going to have those two dogs out together without some pretty significant management because there's likely to be conflict. And so when I'm thinking about how I'm managing my multiple animal household, some of it is who do we include when and how to keep them from annoying one another and having conflict rather than trying to fix it after there's already been hard feelings or a disagreement or a mis a miscommunication. Oh, I think those are all really good points. And um, so, yeah, that's one reason why um, sometimes I will have one. I bring out one dog at a time, because if if they're really excited, they're going to feed off of one another. And it doesn't matter if there are small children. If if Clemmy gets the zoomies. She goes. So, yeah, I think that you need to consider when I tell people when they get a second dog or a third dog, I said, you know, you're not adding one personality to your family. What you're adding is one personality that's interacting with. Hang on a second. Susie, stop that, sweetheart. Come on. Here we go. Good girl. Um, 
what you're doing is you're adding one personality that interacts with every other personality so that the addition to it is not um, it's not just a one-to-one. It's more logarithmic or exponential because you're talking about the interrelationships between these sentient creatures. One of the things that I was going to mention that you had mentioned in one of our podcasts, and I don't remember which one it was. Maybe you will. But we were, talk- we were talking about deliveries, and you had mentioned deliveries. Um, one of the things that, that if your dogs are really hypersensitive to deliveries, I think what you did with one client is you had her put a big box like uh, that she could put a sign on that said, put deliveries in here. So they didn't actually have to come up to the door and ring the bell. So that's something to consider heading into the holidays. If you know that there are going to be a lot more deliveries, and we all have a lot of deliveries these days, invest in a big plastic trunk. You can get them at like Home Depot for not a whole lot of money and put that somewhere in the front of your house so that deliveries can be put in there and maybe, you know, the person doesn't have to come on. Maybe it's the person coming onto the front porch that excites your dog. Maybe it's the ringing of the bell. I don't know. You might have to figure that out a little bit. But there are, try to think in terms of what can I do to reduce that reactivity? Because every time our dogs have these reactions and they get so excited and they spill over into high arousal, it takes it's it takes it longer for them to calm down. So what if you have one delivery at three o'clock and the dog did and they start to come down and then somebody else comes by at three thirty, this is gonna escalate and may make it difficult then if you have somebody coming for dinner that night because we've already had a high arousal and a highly stimulated environment. So that's one thing to think about is is how can I minimize the impact of things like that. For example, Another thing is, is remember your dog does not have to meet everyone who comes to your house. Um, holidays are more likely they do have to meet everybody, but they don't have to. Not all dogs have to meet all people at the same time. But like tomorrow, I have um, a plumber coming and I have no intention of having my dogs talk to the plumber. Absolutely none. He does not need their help doing the work in the basement. I'm pretty sure that he's a, he's a nice guy. I've had him out before and he's very nice with the dogs, but they just, he doesn't really need their help as much as they may want to offer it. And so they will just not meet the plumber. That's the bottom line. And it makes everything easier for them, for me, and for the plumber. Right. The plumber's at work. He doesn't want to be bothered by your dogs, no matter how cute and adorable they are. Right. We, I loved that when we had Colleen on on last time, the three of us were like, please don't have your dogs meet us at the door. Like I I hate it. Right. And if I hate it for me, I definitely don't want it for someone else. And in my case, because I have sensitive dogs, um, that chaos will, especially if it's rehearsed. So I, I can tell you, like, as it's rehearsed, the level of stress in this household goes through the roof. And if and we have all learned that more stress does not improve overall relationships. Right? It doesn't. It, it huh. tends to break them down a little bit. So, Oh, because in our house, we like to add stress because we think that that just makes everything so much better. So it is interesting <laughs> to me how... It doesn't. It doesn't. You're absolutely right. Adding more complication to stress is a young person's game. (laughs) 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> we we old women are like, how do we simplify? <laughs> yes, yes. It's, it's the difference between a young dog trainer's behavior mod proto- protocol and a dog and an old dog trainer's behavior mod protocol, right? Like, my protocols have like three steps. <laughs> like, young dog trainers like 37 steps that will take you nine years. It's great um, because they don't have as like they're not tired yet. Um, so <laughs> what I would say is coming up with four or five choices, like multiple choice choices of what we can do to help the dogs not have conflict is a way better option than 27 ways to fix it after the dogs have already fought with one another and some human got nailed in the process and now they're mad. So um, we tether dogs somewhat regularly when we know that there have been five deliveries to the front porch in one day. Yeah, my dogs are going to be lunatics because obviously we are being attacked by random strangers five times a day and they must defend the castle. Um, If I didn't manage those deliveries happening and the dogs being managed ahead of time, then I have to deal with the crazy that comes after they've already lost their marbles five times that day. And they will take it out on each other because there's one window that they can look out And they all want to be in that one window at once. And four dogs do not fit in a one window space. Right. Um, Well, the other thing is, as I was going to say, that that reminds me of is um, is redirected aggression or redirected anxiety. So if the dogs are all getting wired by the delivery man and we can't get to the delivery man, then, oh, you're right here. So you can have redirected aggression simply because the arousal level gets so high and the dog can't get to what it is that he actually wants to get to, but I've got to let it out some way so it can come out sideways. So that's another reason why you want to try and manage these situations where the dogs get aroused so that you don't end up them redirecting to one another or to you. Right. And and it's important to understand that they can redirect at humans, even little humans, right? And it doesn't mean the yes. dog was being mean. It just means the dog has had enough. So I'm sure everyone else listening to this podcast is a better person than I am. But if I'm out of spoons, there's a decent chance I'm going to be grumpy with somebody, right? And it and the person probably doesn't even really have it coming. I just am out of resources for dealing with the situation I'm dealing with. So as we... I was going to say, have we talked about spoons before? The well, spoon I mean, I can, I can do my little... My little spoons conversation. I think you should because somebody's like spoons. What what about spoons? Training okay, spoons? So, you know, the spoons are used. This little this explanation is used um, for all sorts of different things. And my good dog trainer friend Rebecca Johnson is who taught it to me, and I will forever be in her debt. So stick with me while I while I explain spoon theory. So spoon theory can be used to discuss any kind of trigger stacking, including pain, right? So it can be it, it can be a pain response, it can be anxiety, it can be frustration, it can be all sorts of different things. So here's like a really, well, this is a real life, my kind of example. So I wake up in the morning and I go and take a shower and when I step out of the shower, my foot slides across the floor and smashes into the base of the toilet. And I'm pretty sure I've ripped off my pinky toe. There goes my first spoon. I've hurt myself. 
So then I'm hobbling around trying to come up with a different outfit because I already planned out my outfit. So now I've got to come up with an outfit that doesn't put pressure on my agonizingly painful pinky toe. And I start to be concerned that I'm going to run late. So there goes my second spoon. I have a little bit of anxiety coupled with the pain. How many spoons did you start the day with? Five. You only get five spoons. That's my understanding. I have no idea if that's a hard number, but that's what we're going to use for this example. So now I've got my, so I've got, I hurt my toe and now I have anxiety that I'm running late. So I finally come up with an outfit. Great. I run to the car and I speed to my first appointment because I'm afraid I'm going to be late and I get pulled over. So now I didn't get a ticket, thank goodness, but I was afraid that I was going to get a ticket. And now I'm even more concerned that I'm going to be late. So again, there goes my third spoon. So I finally get to my appointment and my customer who I've planned my appointment for now throws a complete monkey wrench into the mix because they've got some other thing that now I've got it. They're like, you must solve this first and all those other things too. And we have an hour, right? So now I'm like, ah, how am I going to get all that done? So Again, extra stress because I had a plan and now I have to adjust my plan. No big deal. So that's my fourth spoon. So I adjust my plan and I get it all done and I'm like, okay, good. I got all that finished. I'm going to, I only have enough time to eat my lunch that's in, in my car as I'm headed to my next appointment. And I realize I forgot my lunch because I ran out of the house because I was running late. So there goes my fifth spoon. No big deal. I stop, I get myself, you know, something probably bad for me because I'm at a place in my life where I eat my feelings. And so I stop and get a cookie, which is probably not the best choice in the world, but it's not the end of the world either. And the rest of my day goes great. Everything goes great the rest of the day. And I come home from work and Christopher is making me a dinner because he's like the best man in the whole world. And he cracks some joke as I come in the door that any other time I would think was hysterical, but I'm out of spoons. So instead it like it, it hits a little too close to home and it hurts my feelings. And now I quarrel with him. Well, stubbing my toe alone would not make me quarrel with poor Christopher, but the cumulative effect of the stress now is enough that I hand poor Christopher his head when he was just trying to be playful and affectionate with me. Dogs and people do this all the time. And stressors for dogs happen in a whole bunch of ways we don't think about, right? We're talking about some of them today. So the delivery, the doorbell ringing, or two dogs trying to fit out of a one dog space going out the back door to chase those pesky deer who are trying to make baby deer in the backyard. Or feeding bowls that are in the same room and the dogs are a little bit stressed by that. It's not enough that they're having conflict all the time. Like we're not... I'm clear they're not fighting with each other constantly, but we don't often think of pressure necessarily the same way that the dogs do. So there's bunches of ways greeting a stranger, greeting dad when dad comes home. It's a both dogs want a resource, dad, at exactly the same time, and that's a little bit stressful for them. So the more we can look through this lens of where are little times that our dogs are losing spoons, we we can limit when something happens that blows the dogs up. Because most of the time when I'm talking to a family that the dogs are having intra-dog household fighting or disagreements or conflict, it's not any one thing. It's not like, well, one dog's a jerk and the other dog's 
a saint and, you know, one dog just randomly decided to hate the other dog. It's been little teeny tiny insults between the dogs that have gone on for a long period of time that then reaches a point where they're out of spoons consistently and now they're having conflict. Very good. Thank you. That's a wonderful explanation. I was thinking about it when you were talking about that. I was thinking about my own two dogs. And in general, Zuzu and Clemmy um, are great together. But there are times where things get a little, go a little sideways. And I would say one of the things to take a look at is um, not only is it resources, but it's space issues. Because, for example, the other day, um, we have more water buffalo horns than I think there are water buffaloes in Vietnam. Okay. I have a huge number of water buffalo horns and Zuzu was chewing on one or was it Clemmy? It didn't matter. Anyway, although there's several of them, Zuzu was working on one or Clemmy was working on one and the other dog wanted it. So oftentimes if one of them comes over and Zuzu will just stand over Clementine and Clementine will give it up to her or vice versa. And it's not a big deal. Because somebody gives it up and I hand the other one another water buffalo horn and everybody's happy. But this particular day, um, Clemmy had it. It was Clementine who had it. And Zuzi wanted it. And Clementine started to growl at her about it. And I realized part of the reason for that was it wasn't because Clementine was laying on the bed where there's lots of room to move. Instead, they were standing in the space between my kitchen island and the dishwasher. And there's not a lot of room there, right? And so the pressure of being in a space where I can't easily move away from you increased the pressure enough on them that Clemmy growled at Zuzu. And I'm like, okay, guys. And I pulled out another water buffalo horn and I got them separate, gave them each one and everybody was happy. But it was a really good reminder to me that there's more pressure than just a reason. It wasn't just, it wasn't just saying this is mine. It's like, this is, you're trying to take something from me and I'm already feeling pressure with the space and these accumulated things can push things to a point where they're not going to be, that's trigger stacking. And so I think we need to be aware of these things that, that in that particular incident, I think both dogs lost two spoons because there were two pressures, right? There was a pressure of being in a small space and there was a pressure of wanting to have a resource, even though there are a thousand water buffalo horns. I step on one pretty much every night on my way to the restroom, <laughs> right? So it's kind of like, really seriously, there are a thousand water buffalo horns. Um, we could probably create a water buffalo out of all the horns we have. Um, but this particular one was the, was the water buffalo horn du jour. Um, so I think that we need to realize sometimes too is, is, and I was able to sort of take that step back and go, okay, I don't really want them growling in this small space. I don't want it to escalate. How can I diffuse it? I think it's also important to remember that in these incidents, you probably have a little bit more time than you think you did. I didn't just rush right in and, you know, separate the dogs. I got another water buffalo. I talked to them. Oh, hey, girls. And they looked at me and I tossed some kibble and they dropped the water buffalo horn. And then I was able to distribute things. But I think we need to remember that um, just because we don't think it's a big deal doesn't mean our dogs don't think it's a big deal. And that we need to understand that they may see the world somewhat differently than we do. There's a great um, 
handout, and I can put it on the website, by Lily Chin about body language of fear in dogs. And the thing that I really like is at the very top, where it shows a little dog, and there's like two legs of a monster, right? And the dog is a certain distance away, and it's kind of cowering. But then in the next one, the dog is much closer to the monster and is really cowering. And I say to my um, my clients, I say, what you need to understand is that that monster that your dog is seeing, that may be Uncle Joe, or it may be your neighbor Bob, or your cousin Althea, right? You may see this as a perfectly friendly person, but for whatever reason, your dog sees it as a fire-breathing dragon, or Sasquatch, or whatever. And so you need to accept the way that, okay, ah, that's how the dog sees it. How can I help to reduce the stress so we don't lose a spoon? It's, I think it's a tendency for us to say, oh, it's just Uncle Bob. Well, the dog's just not saying it's just Uncle Bob. For whatever reason, this is a, a fire-breathing Uncle Bob, and I can't understand why it is you are inviting this fire-breathing dragon through the front door when I am clearly telling you <laughs> that this is a dangerous endeavor. So I, I think that sometimes we need to also remember that we have to define big deals by how they define it, not necessarily how we define it. One of the things that I think was, I got this from Jen Schreck, and I thought it was a brilliant observation, was get down on your hands and knees and view your world from your dog's perspective. That There's is a great a way to look at the world. more crowding than you think there is. Yes, absolutely. Right, like all of our open floor plans, well, guess what? If you get down on your hands and knees and you walk around at your dog's level, that open floor plan very quickly is very crowded. And when we're moving into the holidays, that is exacerbated like to the 10th degree because all of a sudden there's extra people and extra furniture. Those folding chairs that you add for the birthday party yeah, that becomes a labyrinth for your dog, right? So it even if your dogs weren't struggling before, you add the holidays and all, and all of a sudden that that system that maybe is a little bit wonky but weak but not great but works all of a sudden doesn't work, which is why dog bite season starts the week before Halloween and ends the week after New Year's, right? Because more dog bites happen during that period of time of the year than the rest of the year combined. Interestingly enough, it didn't last year because we didn't do anything for the holidays. Nobody came over. Most families, they were outside where all of the constraints of, of too, too much stuff going on in too little space didn't happen. Or like our family, we just did a nice quiet Thanksgiving and we Zoomed everyone into the into the appointment. So now arguably there's probably a little less conflict, right? Aunt Mildred didn't say anything ugly about Aunt Marjorie's fruitcake because she was on mute and only said that to her own family. So, you know, the M's weren't losing it with each other, but the dogs also didn't, like their routine was not demonstrably different except that it sounded different because there were new people that way. So when we think about like dogs have conflict with each other, over stress the same way that people have conflict with each other over stress. And it doesn't mean that anyone's being a jerk. It means that they're communicating, that they're struggling 
with how the system is working. And I need more personal space than lots of other people do. And that doesn't make me bad or wrong. It just means I'm a little claustrophobic and I don't want you sitting on top of me. And if it's an emotionally charged situation, that gets worse. So I prefer to sit on the end of the aisle, not in the middle of the aisle. So can I sit in the middle? Sure. But there's a cost to me of being uncomfortable that might change how much grace I extend to the things around me if things go wonky. So the same is true for our dogs. I don't feed dogs in the same room because I don't have to. So why would I? Right. The same way that I don't put one cupcake in the middle of the table for two kids, because why would I? It just stresses them when they don't need to be stressed. So if we're handing out new water buffalo horns, those happen in the crates. After two days, those water buffalo horns are boring and they are, they can move into gen pop. But I've learned over the years, a new water buffalo horn is like new crayons with toddlers. And it's just going to be mayhem and foolishness. So they get their new water buffalo horns in crates to enjoy privately. And once the dogs start dragging them out of their crates, then I know that water buffalo horn is no longer so super special. Um, I don't, I want to avoid conflicts with the dogs. And, and. Julie, I love that you talked about we have more time than we need. What I would say is, again, Jen Shryock, brilliant about this. We need to invite her on again. I'll, I'll send her an email after this episode. But focus on getting your dog to wag her tail. Right? Going in like it's a 911, it's how to add more pressure. If instead... I go, hey, sweet girls, what trash talk is happening over there? You're so pretty. And I move. The dogs are going to follow me. Heck, I haven't gone to the bathroom alone in 35 years. Like, it, the only way I go to the bathroom alone is if I'm not home. So if I just move, the tension of that situation will disrupt. Now, your example of throwing a handful of kibble down, if I did that, we would have fewer dogs because they would kill each other. So that doesn't work in my household. I'm glad that strategy works in yours. And so I'm not judging that my dogs are jerks. I have two dogs who were born wild on an island. I understand why they resource guard, right? Like they're not bad dogs. They're great dogs, but I know what they can do and what they can't do. The same way that I knew what my kids could do or not do, right? They could not share a cupcake. Right, right. I, I think that it's really important to know your dogs. The other thing I was going to say when you were talking about this, and it re reminded me of it, is I find it's really important on days when our schedules are going to be disrupted a lot, or there's going to be a lot of people, or there's a lot of coming and going, or there's just a lot of mayhem. One of the things that I find is really important is what you were saying about um, sort of personal space. When I find that if I find the dogs are starting to wander off, I think that's great. And I will put Zuzu in my office and close the gate so she can have some downtime. I think it's really important to remember that um, if you find it overwhelming to have all of the ants in your house, you know, Mildred and Margaret and Martha and um, 
Mary, right? All four M ants, right? Um, it's probably, and, and that you wish, uh, and you're spending longer in the bathroom, like, I need to really wash my hands well, right? After I go to the bathroom, because you need a little bit of a break from the family, your dogs probably do too. And so give them that grace of a break, right? Give them the, the opportunity to go into a crate or go into another room, settle down, have a break until they then may ask to come back out again. So um, I think it's important. And that's one reason why we did it the way we did that one Thanksgiving was the moving of the dogs in and out and and it not putting them in solitary confinement. So you can write an essay about why you should not have looked sideways at Aunt Martha. Okay. That may be an essay my daughter would write, but I don't make my dogs write essays. Instead, before we're at the point where I'm looking sideways at Aunt Martha, I'm going to try and give my dogs a break. Right. And that's the thing. Like this prevention piece, like it's so much better. I would rather have more magic and less mess. Right. So yes, fortunately, good none of my it. family. So, so one of the advantages of being me is none of my family members will ever hear this podcast because they don't think I'm an expert on, you know, anything. So I can say this. I have totally faked a headache. I have totally been like, man, I'm so sorry. Like I have the worst migraine. I'm just going to go lay down in the bedroom for the next few hours. And you, you guys have a great time, but Marco and I, we're going to go, I'll take Marco cause he's such a problem. We're just going to go lay down in the bedroom for a few hours. And I'm like doing my coloring app and listening to podcasts, but it's that I'm sensitive and I know I'm sensitive. And sometimes I just need a break because I don't want to stay. Even if I was quiet in the room with the people who I love, they're people I love, right? I'm going to start building a case of, well, she said this, and then she said that, and then she did this and then that and this. And, and I can feel that pressure building where I'm going to maybe not behave as lovely and as lovingly as, as I might otherwise. So it's a better choice for me to go, you know what? I'll just, God will forgive me for the lie. I'm just going to go take a break because if I said, you know what? I'm sitting here listening to you and I'm building a case of all the reasons why I should say something ugly to you. That so instead I'm gonna go in my room. Like, no, that's a bad plan. That's that is not appropriate. But I can make a polite excuse that's not provable. Yeah, that's probably not the best of plans. Um, I'm sitting here coming up with reasons why I hate you, so I think I should leave. Right. Probably <laughs> <laughs> I really don't like you right now. Um, but don't you and, but don't but you yeah. see people do that? Yes. Don't you see people do that with their dogs where things yes. are slowly escalating and they wait until there's a big fight to say, you know what, maybe we should take a break. And I'm like, okay, well now it takes the dog six days to recover from that disagreement. And if we have another disagreement tomorrow, well, now we have dogs that systemically, chronically are frustrating each other. Right. And and that is a real issue. The other thing is, is even if you have dogs who really don't like one another, and there are dogs, just like there are people that I don't like, dogs have other dogs they don't like. And if you are forcing them to live together, even if they're separated by crates and gates and tethers and muzzles and all kinds of things, they're still living in the house with somebody that they hate. And that's stressful in and of itself. 
you know, oh, it's like, yeah. okay, it's like, um, okay, you, I may not be able to get to you, but I know you're in the other room and I still hate you. Yeah. It, it really, we, we really want to put our dogs through that and know that even if they don't hate one another, but they may have propensities to be intolerant of one another, add some environmental stresses and you're going to see that intolerance erupt. So this is the time to come up with the strategy and work on it ahead of time of how are we going to manage a situation so that you don't escalate, so you don't erupt, so we're not dealing with this kind of thing, so that you don't have to, so that not only you as a person, but you as a dog shouldn't have to live that way. And so planning and practicing that plan and understanding that just, I feel a little bit as like, I don't remember who the general was, but somebody asked a general once, oh, when do you change your battle plan? And he's like, at the opening shot. I mean, you just, you have the plan, but you need to be willing to adapt it according to what the opening volley is. So, so um, oh, you're right. No, yeah, go ahead. Like you have to be able to pivot and make some choices. So let's talk about some resources because we're hitting the 42 minute mark. So let's talk about some resources for families if you don't want to have to talk to a dog trainer, you know, this minute. So first, I'm going to big, big, huge shout out again to Whole Dog Journal. Like we talk about them all the time. We arguably should like, I don't know. I don't know. We should just move in with them because we flirt with them all the time. But one of the things that I regularly send people to is articles from Whole Dog Journal because they're really awesome about managing a multiple dog household, though the most recent article they have on how to manage a multiple dog household, Whole Dog Journal, is from 2002 before the COVID and 10,000 deliveries a day. So I said to Julie when we were getting ready to do this episode, like, oh, I bet they're going to put something out soon because things have changed. But they tend to update their articles. The other thing, as I would say, is there was a good one that was just in the last year called Corn Train Your Dog which had some good, um, you know, about some training techniques to do during quarantine to help your dogs learn how to be a little bit more separate, how to be a little bit more um, tolerant of things. So that's another good one to take a look so at is Corn Train Your Dog. resource that both Julie and I have on our bookshelves is um, a book written by Karen London, PhD, and Dr. Uh, Patricia McConnell, PhD, called Feeling Outnumbered, How to Manage and Enjoy Your Multiple Dog Household. And I'm yes, gonna, it's wonderful. And wonderful. in the back of the book is a list of signs that may indicate that you have a serious problem, right? Because we tend to front load to, oh, it's not that bad. So let me read this list while giving them credit, because I think it's a pretty, it's a decent list. So the first one is one dog consistently pushes others aside to access to you, to your petting and attention. Your dog guards food bowls from one another. Your dogs are frequently up on their back paws when they're playing. One dog seems, quote, jealous, end quote, of, your at of the attention you give another dog. Your, dog your dogs always seem to watch each other warily. One dog protects you like they would a bone from the other dogs. Dirty looks, hard stares, and glares are passing between two or more of your dogs. You find yourself tense and anxious about what might happen between your dogs. Your dogs exhibit stiff postures when they're around one another. 
One dog bullies another dog, taking away all of their toys or bones. One of your dogs keeps another dog from moving freely around the house or the yard. One of your dogs slinks around the house, avoiding another dog or giving a lot of appeasement signals. Your dogs growl, snap, show their teeth, or lunge at one another. And of course, if your dogs are fighting with one another. So one of the things that I will say is often I can identify when Marco is overtired and frustrated by how the other dogs are signaling that they're uncomfortable with how he's moving around. And he's not being bad. He's just sensitive. So I don't want to punish him for that, though that is our natural human response is to be like, stop being a jerk to your siblings. I have to work and remind myself constantly that I need to change how I manage him so that he feels better and so that I'm not fussing at him about being sensitive because it turns out fussing at the dog for being sensitive does not remarkably make him less sensitive. Wow. You know, that works with kids, too. Um, you know, it, it always I, I you know, it's, it's people to, like I have some sensitivities, too. And I was having a panic attack, a panic attack once. And I happened to be in a doctor's office and he said, what? Just calm down. And I'm like, you know, like, you think I hadn't thought of that? It's like if I could magically just calm down by saying, Julie, calm down, I would do that. It's like this is, has occurred to me that I need to calm down. However, I'm in the midst of a panic attack and actually telling me to calm down is not working. What is going to work for me is allow me to, I was on, this is a long story. It was on, I was on way too much Valium and I was really flipping out from a procedure that had been done. And I just like, can I just walk? Because I'll feel a lot better if I can move. So my daughter was with me. So she just walked up and down the hall with me. And then she sat me down and we prayed a rosary together. That brought me down. Not telling me to calm right. down. There's a so really it, funny <laughs> meme that was on Facebook years ago that just made me laugh and laugh and laugh. That said, in the history of calming down, no one has ever calmed down by being told to calm down. I know. And so I think we need to remember that with our dogs, that we can't just tell them to calm down. We can't just yell at them and ask them and, and assume that, that that's going to work, that they need to be attended to just like somebody having a panic attack or somebody else. But I love the fact that you said that you look at the other dogs, because I tell people all the time, like if they're watching their dogs play and they think it's getting kind of rough, I'm like, how is the other dog responding? So if these two are playing and the other dog, you think one is being, if dog A is being rough, how is dog B behaving? Is dog B asking the other one to stop or is he asking for more? Right. We and so I think it's really class, right? We do yeah, a lot of absolutely. consent testing. If we, if we go, okay, you let's have a little bit of space. And then we say to the one who, you know, maybe we're a little worried, like, okay, it's getting a little escalated. Did you enjoy that? Do you want to interact with this other puppy? And they go, heck yeah, that was fun. Right. Um, I do this a ton with the cat. Right. The dogs are playing with the cat and I'm watching it going, OK, I can tell the dog's having fun, but I'm not sure the cat is. If I call the dog, the cat usually like gets up, shakes off, flops back down and invites play again. OK, then they're doing great. I think I know I'm I'm feeling this in our household. We have some complicated dogs, as most dog trainers do. Right. Um, I am 
trying to be really strategic about teaching the dogs some new skills so that I can cue moving in the space without me physically moving my body. So I can be on a Zoom call, I can mute the call and cue Marco to move from the bed he's laying on where he's stressed that the other dogs are too close to give him the cue, would you please go to my office where you will be an only dog and no one will harsh your mellow. Right, so being able to say bedtime and everyone except the deaf dog goes to their crates I can just collect up a handful of kibble and everybody gets a couple of kibble in their crate. What good dogs you are. And then I can get out of the emergency. It's way better than trying to break up a conflict. It's just a better strategy. Yes. I love that. I love that. But then you are far more talented trainer than I am. So so, it'll be all right. We'll get there. (laughs) I should probably video it because it's not as, you know what it is. It's not as complicated as we make it. Yeah. If, well, if I said office and took three pieces of dog food and ran to the dog bed in my office and put those three kibble on the dog bed and Marco was the only dog in the house. If I did that 30 times in one day, office would mean run to that dog bed, which by the way is where sweet potty pot cake is laying right now. And he's the only dog in the house. Like he likes that spot when he wants some alone time. So I can take advantage of that and just block it off so that the other dogs can't go in there and harsh his mellow. Because he is, now that he's almost eight, he'll be eight on Friday, he is finally starting to self-regulate a little bit and go, okay, maybe I don't need to be in the middle of all this stuff. Because he just acts like an adolescent. Like even though he's a well-adult dog, he sometimes struggles to not get in the middle of all the activity because he wants to be with the people, but that brings with it all the other dogs. And so then there's conflict. So saying to him, you know what? You feel good in that other space. Just move to the other space. I'll meet you there. Right. Would bless him. So I'm just trying to bless him. Okay. That's great. And I'm really glad you read those, um, this list because I think that's going to give people something really can very put, strategic. Can we put the what? link to that in the show notes? Yes, absolutely. And maybe um, it's worth um, giving Dr. McConnell a shout out and seeing if if she or Dr. London would like to come on the show and talk about it. Because again, I think the world, our dogs' worlds, our worlds are really different than they were even three years ago. And yeah. What we're expecting of our dogs is really different than what we expected of them three years ago. And there's also, admittedly, a bunch of new dog owners who have never had dogs before. This might be the first holiday season they're navigating with their dogs. That's right. So That's right. prevention, I, I shout prevention all the time. Prevention is very brave and to be yes. rewarded. So I'll see if I can reach out to Dr. McConnell and see if she'd be willing to come on and chat with us. Yeah, or Dr. London. Either or one. Dr. London. We'd, yeah, that would be or great. Or maybe both. Oh, that would be even better. How even could better. manage four dog trainers? That could get I, dicey. I know. Somebody might resource guard the microphone. But um, <laughs> I don't think so. We've had Dr. McConnell on before, and she's, she's enchanting. So uh, she was great. So that's good. Yeah, we will certainly put a link to the book. And we will put, um, I, I imagine we could, and we'll put a link to the whole dog journal 
And um, I said something else, and I'll make sure that whatever it was that I was talking about will get its link. And, uh, oh, I know what it was, this Quarantrain. Um, it was a nice little article. So, all right. So, quick, just a quick summary is that watch your dogs. Look for signs that they may be having some stressful moments. And if they are, look to how you can diffuse that uh, sooner rather than later, rather than have it escalate. If you have multiple dogs, think about places that each one of those dogs can go to have a little bit of me time and de-escalate from a situation that may become difficult for them. And, and don't and don't wait for a conflict, right? Get ahead of right. it. If, if my dogs are eating in separate dog crates, separated from one another, they can't bother each other. Right, right. They just can't. If they're in crates while we're eating dinner and I drop a piece of chicken, there cannot be a dog fight over that piece of chicken. And none of my dogs can resource guard that piece of chicken from the child reaching for their chicken nugget because they didn't think about it. Like management ahead of time is way better than trying to manage a crisis. Right. And we will put a link to the, um, the, uh, supervision, um, yes. or I can actually put up there the, the supervision handout from, um, uh, family pause. So, all and right. Moms and dads, like take a breath, take care of yourselves. We'll make it through the holidays. Well, thank you very much for listening to your family dog. If you like what Tina and I have to offer, Please uh, share this with your friends and family, and hopefully they will like it too, and we can all learn a little bit more about dogs. And we are so grateful for our, for our listeners. We know that you are caring and intelligent people, and we're so grateful that you spend some time with us um, every couple of weeks. And we'll see you all next time on Your Family Dog. Thanks for listening to Your Family Dog. Got questions? Interesting ideas? Visit www.yourfamilydogpodcast.com to share your thoughts.